Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. So I will never make fun of Brad's questionable music choices ever again. <laughs> Let me tell you why. Because oh, yesterday I was be out good because yesterday I was out golfing and it was already an hour and a half delay because of frost. So I was already a little rattled about that. Wasn't playing all that well. The group in front of us was terrible and so slow. Um eventually we get to 18. They hadn't even teed off yet, so I'm losing my mind. What happens? Their speaker comes on in their cart and it is very loud. And what what are they listening to? The the Nickelback discography. Amazing. And one of the guys in the group in front of us just starts belting out the lyrics. And mind you, this was not an old Nickelback song where fifty percent of the people would know at least some of the words. This was new stuff that I'd never heard before. And this guy was rocking out on the T block. Are you sure it wasn't Nickelback? I'm actually not sure, but I could confirm it wasn't Brad. I'm disappointed because making fun of Brad's music choices is one of our favorite pastimes, Evan, so I'll miss that. But that would be a harrowing experience. Like, he wasn't ironically singing it. Like, he was singing. He was very passionate about the song. Wow. Brad, what's your what's your favorite band? Like, it's some random, like, underground punk band. It's like 17 Ways from Monday or some shit like that. <laughs> I mean, if we're talking all time, it's it's Linkin Park, but <laughs> no, 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 everyone knows Linkin Park. But what's the one? Oh, the one Evan actually listened to way back when, Paris. For uh, a little bit of a uh, podcast origin story here, in the early days, um, I used to be on Brad's way home from work, and I didn't have a car yet. I was oh, still an undergrad. You I were not on my way home at work. That was an hour round trip. <laughs> I was sometimes on Brad's way home from work, <laughs> and uh, I didn't have a car yet, and that was the only way to do the podcast, so he'd uh, he'd drive me, and it was really nice of him to do, and uh, I listened to his music, and for the first like while, I'd say for the first like few months, like obviously it was, wouldn't have made fun of him for that. I was like, his car, his music, and then after a little while when we got more comfortable, I think Evan made fun of his music. I was like, oh, thank God, because it is so bad. Time for the dog pile. <laughs> yeah. It's actually not I, – I, we rib on you a lot, but it's not terrible. I, everyone has their own, like, underground punk scene, but they just uh, – most people give it up at some point. See, here's here's the problem, and here's where it gets worse. And this is probably more an indictment on how old I am versus what I listen to is that I don't know if it would or wouldn't be considered underground because I don't pay – like, I don't watch the YouTube videos or anything, so I don't know if these things have, like, 2,000 views or 2 million. <laughs> I've got no goddamn clue. So then everybody asks, like, they're like, oh, yeah, what concert did you go to last week? And I tell them, like, oh, I've never heard of them. Okay, I hear that often enough that I'm like, I, I get it now. But yeah. for the first little while, it was just whatever. All right, Hockey Talk. This is the Winged Wheel Podcast. Thank you all for tuning in. My name is Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad. I'm Evan. Oh, very inspired. I got nothing this week. That's <laughs> no, okay. Brad actually took your cadence, so uh, you might want to take that up with him after. 
the deep inhale and then just silently say your first <laughs> name is kind of Evan's thing. Uh, on this episode of the podcast, we are going to be covering a topic that's long been asked for and we're uh, confident to start doing, which is uh, ranking the Red Wings prospect system, um, at least loosely to start. Um, we'll be talking about Red Wings news from overseas. Not too much of it, but still some updates um, and then uh, league news and then you know whatever else comes up before uh, heading into overtime. Um, <laughs> I can't. I guess something about what you said at the start of the episode, Evan, where you're like, your hat, don't worry, Ryan, your hat's straight. So, like, short, funny story. Um, I told you guys the reason hats don't look straight on my head, no matter what I do, is because my ears are lopsided. So, hat, the hat will either be straight to my head or straight to my ears, but not both. Um, lopsided ears also mean glasses are always crooked. So, I brought my cl- glasses into the optometrist at Costco to get them adjusted. And uh, he puts them on my face or I put them back on my face. He goes, those are too small. I'm like, I've had these glasses for years. They're not too small. He's like, no, it's like indenting your head. And I feel, I'm like, oh, it is. He goes, oh. And I'm like, what? Oh, he goes, have you put on some weight because of quarantine? <laughs> I was like, listen, buddy. Have we you put have. on some weight? We all have, pal. Yeah. And apparently mine goes to my temples. So that's some bullshit right there. Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I can't follow uh, any that up with anything without being insulting, so I'm just letting you go. You can, Brad. Why would you hold back from insulting me? This is why people think I'm exclusively an asshole to you without realizing that I get it back. But you're just doing it off air. <laughs> That's part so of the plan, buddy. Just, That's part of the. It's plan. all about perception. <laughs> uh, okay, uh, signings from around the NHL. The most notable one has been the. Uh, well, the Cody Cece one was ridiculed quite a bit. Um, but like, obviously, seriously, replacing Jack Johnson with Cody Cece is peak Jim Rutherford. We could have called this forever ago. If you said, what is the most Jim Rutherford move ever after buying out Jack Johnson? We all would have said he would sign Cody Cece. Yeah, like literally we couldn't have handpicked anybody better to make this joke than Cody Cece. He got rid of the worst defenseman in the league and replaced him with the second worst defenseman in the league. Here's my thing. Like, and this is going to sound funny because this is coming on the tails of us talking about, you know, uh, Abdul Kader leaving and Erickson leaving doesn't mean that you should make personal attacks on these guys or their character. Like you can hate the way they played on the ice and you can hate their contract, but that doesn't mean that they're anything other than great dudes. And, and, both of those things can exist and like the, the hatred and the vitriol doesn't have to be directed towards them. That all holds true. At, at the same time, when someone like Cody CC gets signed, you're just, you can't help but think, and it's not personal. It's nothing about the player or the, the person. It's just, there are better players. There are better players who will do it for cheaper. Yeah. He was only signed for what? 1.25, 1.5 or something. Yeah. 1.25. So it's not, it's not a lot on the cap. It's it's effectively close to minimum. Your players in the AHL or some random player from whatever team that'll give them to you for a, a seventh round pick will be better than Cody Cece at this point, right? Like, he, what's he offering to a team where you want to go out and bring in that asset and not just use the cap space, use the roster spot? It's not worth the roster spot. Old Boys Club, I I don't have a good explanation. There is nothing. It's absolutely kind of- nothing to back this up. Analytics says he's terrible. The eye test says he's terrible. 
he's basic stats say he's terrible. I seen someone try to use the excuse. Yeah. Well, look who he was playing with last year. Yeah. Didn't he spend a couple seasons of his career playing with Eric Carlson? He yeah. was Eric Carlson's partner, the best defenseman on the face of the earth for a few years there. I mean, not that Carlson's a defensive stalwart, but I mean, he makes the rest of your job pretty damn easy. Um, yeah, I've, I've got, like, it's one of those things where he's probably a pretty good guy. People probably like him. He's probably very nice. Uh, he's willing to block shots, which uh, there's something to be said for doing that. I mean, blocking shots is like putting a bandaid on the bullet wound and you're the one who shot yourself. Um, but I, it, it's mystifying to me because there are guys that I don't love, but I, I get it. Like I'll dis, I'll fundamentally disagree with the decision when it's a poor example because he busted it. Now he's in the Red Wing system. But when the, you see a guy like Dylan McElrath, when he was picked high in the draft and it's like, okay, well, he can't really skate and he brings nothing offensively. Yeah, but he at the time was viewed as a really, really good defender and hit like a Mack truck. Okay, like I, I see a place for a guy like that in the NHL. Not in the first round, but I see that. I, I get it. With CC, he doesn't bring any of that. He doesn't bring sound defensive game. He doesn't bring offense. He doesn't bring a physical element. It's It's mystifying to me. I think him and Jack Johnson and... This is probably another reason why the draft is so important. And I think I literally think this is the only reason these guys still have jobs. They were first round picks. Oh, 100%. It's it's arrogance and it's uh, like an unwillingness to ever change or admit that you were wrong about something. It's exactly it's not even willing that they're wrong cuz they they're getting shots with other organizations that had nothing to do with picking them they just say oh former first round pick there must be something there even though like, there very clearly is not you guys have seen moneyball yeah oh yeah it's, like a hundred times it just reminds me of this scene in the boardroom like early on in the movie where they're saying like oh we can't pick that guy he has an ugly girlfriend or like oh that guy's got like a good like good baseball name or like good looking kid and it's like what what does that matter it's not exactly the same thing, but you're just like looking back at like their draft pedigree 11 years later. You're like, at some point, that's got to wear thin. Like you can't only stretch that so far. Look, I'm not going to sit here and say Cody Cece's never been useful at any point in his career. No, but it's just signings like this make me rub my temples. And I think it's because we've lived through like the latter years of the way the Red Wings were being managed and, you know, certain people think that it's exclusively Ken Holland's fault and certain people think it's exclusively the Illich's fault. Some people think it's just a, uh, the circumstances or a mixture of both, whatever. I'm not here to have that argument for the millionth time. But the way the Red Wings were managed was essentially – there's a reason why Eisenman had such a deep hole to crawl out of and still has a long way to go. Um, the, the asset mismanagement, the contracts that were being handed out, the way – that loyalty was was trumping, you know, um, skill and and value contracts and trying to find market inefficiencies to capitalize on. That's why the Red Wings were so gridlocked with their contract or with their cap situation for so long. They knew they had to rebuild way too late, and they still knew they had to rebuild 
way before they could actually do it in earnest. And it's happening now. You guys remember Brad's whole Braveheart rant from last episode. That was the case because or, or that whole rant, or I shouldn't call it rant. You you made a good point on Twitter, Brad. It's more about raving. That whole thing was talking about how Eisenman has put this team in a great opportunity and the opportunity is in our faces now. That was at the end of a very long tunnel. And that tunnel was elongated by Ken Holland making these kinds of moves that are just like mirrors of like Jim Benning signing uh, those depth guys to like $12 million collectively or like Cody Cece continually getting contracts and stuff like that. I think that's why we're more sensitive to it. It's a very long way of saying it. I know Um, it just it really just makes me rub my temples and think, how do these GMs still have jobs? Of course, we're more sensitive to it. You get the old veterans who are good at one overvalued aspect of the game, whether it's face-offs or uh, defensively sound forward or net front presence or physical. And and these type of things are literally why we're still dealing with Darren Helm and Justin Advocator and Franz Nielsen and... God just got out from Jonathan Erickson. It's it's that stuff. Objectively, you could look at those guys, though, <laughs> to even argue them over Cody Cece. You could look at Ablocator and argue, well, he did have a couple good years. You could look at Erickson and go, he is huge. You could look at Helm and go, he is unreal on the PK. And and you can you could almost justify it, even though you can't justify it, if that makes sense. That's what makes Cody Cece and Jack Johnson even funnier to me, because there's none of that argument for either of them. Oh, God, no. No. And, like, I don't know. I don't think it, it's always this bad, because there's a certain amount of luck involved. Like, Jim Benning, man, I don't understand how you make the moves you do and have that kind of success. But then I I do realize it because their draft team did a phenomenal job so many years ago and they hit on Quinn Hughes and they hit on Elias Pettersson. They had Brock Besser and it's just like they had enough talent to drag it upwards. But imagine how competitive of a team Vancouver would be without their dead weight. They oh, would be so much better. Right now, they'd be as good as they are and they'd have Jakob Markstrom, Tyler Toffoli and Troy Stetcher. Yeah, yeah. Not to mention anyone else they might have been able to pick up over the last year or two where they couldn't even have dreamed of before. And and this is Vancouver. It was Detroit forever, but now Vancouver might be the poster child for why you don't pay a bottom six forward more than two million in more than two years. Because quite literally, their team got worse over the offseason, despite having Quinn Hughes and Elias Pettersson still on entry level contracts because they got bogged down buy these terrible contracts and they lost a good chunk of their core and their starting goalie because of it. And much like the Red Wings, it's really hard. It was, and I don't know if you guys remember early on in in the early years of the podcast, we had to be very careful talking about these things because the fan base really wasn't receptive to it. And we were getting a lot of backlash. It took a while for us to kind of get our feet under us and and be able to comfortably say it, but (laughs) to, to comfortably be able to say, I told us so. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, and not that we were the only ones, but there's people who just didn't want to face the fact that this team was going to suck. Um, and part of that difficulty is like, there's nuance to it, right? Like, it's not that Darren Helm sucked. No, I love what Darren Helm has done for Detroit over his entire tenure. I look back fondly on his entire time with his team, whenever he goes, whether it's next year or five years from now or whatever it is. It's, it's not Darren Helm. It's the contract that he was given that caused 
like that impeded the the, the asset management and the structure progress the the salary structure progressing for the Red Wings, and it's a similar thing in Vancouver. I'm not intensely familiar with how Beagle or uh, Rus- Russell or anyone has been playing, but those guys could be perfectly fine bottom six guys. But then you you the fan base their fan base then has to cope with the fact that yeah sure they're playing good bottom six hockey but they're being paid middle six or top six minutes or uh, money or top four money or whatever it is and that's the problem like you're then creating an amount of hatred for these guys that they don't deserve because they're doing their job on the out on the ice but their only crime was taking more money than maybe they should have been offered in the first place and that's not their fault that falls solely on the GM. If Darren Helm signed endless. Two-year, two million dollar contracts until he turned forty. I wouldn't complain about it. You could. I would want him to stay forever. Exactly, and and that's the problem. And it's funny too, as we're saying this, because Steve Eiserman clearly doesn't do this. Um, he only gives good money to good players, um, and he doesn't seem to have that veteran loyalty. And and he understands what it takes to be a good hockey team. And then you see Ken Holland and Edmonton re-signing Mike Smith for. <laughs> Two million dollars when when literally an AHL call up would have contributed the same that he did last year, arguably even more so because there's a case to be made that Mike Smith literally lost the Oilers games in the play in round uh, before yeah. he got replaced. Um, but then the fact that he was starting over Miko Koskinen was well, that was on Dave Tippett. You know, let's start the goalie whose safe percentage is 15 points lower than the other guy. But uh, what? Yeah, it's just further proof to to circle the f- conversation all the way back where old GMs don't learn new tricks. And Jim Rutherford is the poster child for it as much as we love ribbing Kenny about that Mike Smith contract. I saw a comment on Twitter and it just made me smile so much because it was just like a flashback to, you know, five or six years ago with the Red Wings. And it was an, an Edmonton fan saying, it's not even that big of a deal. It's just like, you know, it's only this much. Or it's only this long. And I was like, ah, this is how the death by a thousand cuts started in Detroit. <laughs> We've been there. Here's why it's it's the meme of, uh, uh, of Dave Franco, James Franco. I always mix up the two. James James Franco. Where he goes, first time? That's him, right? And that meme with the noose? Yeah. Um, Anyhow, that's actually a a good conversation to lead to the next signing, which is another, I guess, philosophical roster conversation, um, which is Joe Thornton went to Toronto for like league minimum or whatever it is for one year. Um, Obviously, Joe Thornton is like the poster child for what player doesn't have a cup that arguably deserves it based on their talent and you know how much respect they have um and it's a kind of a departure from how the kyle dubas school of thought would move forward with this team not a huge one i don't think i don't think it it was completely out there but it's it's a little bit of a different approach in my mind between him and bogosian um and simmons is dubas building out a team where he thinks they have all the skill they need in the world and all the talent they need in the world. Now he's trying to bring something to bind it together. He's trying to add character to the room. He's trying to, you know, the people who've been there, it's, it's those overtures that I hated, but it seems like what it, it that's what it is. Well, I'll, I'll just kind of skip past the fact that like Spezza Thornton and Simmons basically all came in one year at or near league minimum. So you literally can't complain about those contracts because if it goes worst case scenario, it doesn't matter. You can literally just send them to the miners and bury their entire cap it. So it doesn't matter. But Kyle Dubas 
is doing what good GMs do. He had a vision for what he wanted this team to be last year. It didn't work. But he believes in the core principles of his vision, which is having high-skill young players, which I agree with. And then he's like, yeah, but we didn't have, you know, enough physicality up front or our the right side of our defense was like catastrophically bad. Our second power play unit wasn't clicking. So he went out and addressed that. So he got Wayne Simmons to get a little uh, more grit in his bottom six. He brought in Joe Thornton and Jason Spezza, who as older they are, are going to bring veteran leadership for whatever that's worth. And they're going to help the second power play unit. He brought in Zach Bogosian as depth on the right side of the D. They brought in TJ Brody, who's going to be the top pairing right side of that D. So Bogosian, again, was like a million bucks. It's basically irrelevant. If he pans out, great. If he doesn't, cool. They just throw Justin Hole back in there and they're right where they were before. Ironically, with the name Hole, it fits. Um, But yeah, it's... There's no universally right answer here, but if you do go back and look at the past cup winners, it has been a, this, the formula does appear to be a team that's top lines and top end players are, are your Austin Matthews type, your high skill, truly elite players, your Alex Ovechkins, Nick Backstrom's, uh, Ryan O'Reilly's, Vladimir Tarasenko, Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, uh, Tampa this year, obviously. But then you go down the lineup and you get those, those bangers who can still play. You know, for Tampa, it was Blake Coleman and Barkley Goudreau. For Toronto this year, they're hoping it's going to be uh, Wayne Simmons. And, you know, you look at Washington, Tom Wilson's a higher-end version of that. But still, I mean, this does seem to be the formula that works. Like, okay, yeah, let's get our top six out there and beat them to death with skill. And then we understand we're not going to have a t- be able to afford, I should say is the better word, uh, a ton of depth scoring. So let's just make sure these lines can contribute a little bit, but make life miserable on our opponents. And you don't want to swing. The key to this to me is you don't want to swing too hard one way or the other. We saw what happened to Toronto when Brian Burke was going on about truculence and pugnacity. It it didn't work. We saw what happened with Toronto when they just went all out skill. It didn't work and it hasn't worked. So Dubis is, he just seems to be trying to find that sweet spot right now, which is the right approach. Honestly, I don't care what your vision for the team is. If it doesn't work, adapt. That's what ultimately killed Ken Holland in Detroit because he didn't adapt, right? Like he lost his top end players, which obviously handcuffed him. But then he's like, now nah, we're going to beat him to death. We're still going to have all these bottom six guys, even though we don't have the top end. I mean, it's not like he could have went out and replaced Atsuk and Zetterberg. I understand that, but his method didn't work and he never adapted until he had to rebuild. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't hate what Toronto's doing if other than the fact it's Toronto and I don't want them to do good. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, they they've they had their positions of strength and they didn't screw around with their positions of strength. They filled in the holes that they needed to fill in. If it doesn't work this year, all these guys are on one-year contracts. Try some other shit next year. It's not rocket science here. (laughs) Although my favorite thing that came out of the Jor Thornton signing. Oh, you just knew without naming names, a certain, we'll call it segment of of Toronto media 
was going to turn this into some ridiculous bullshit and they didn't disappoint. The big article written about is the Leafs signing Joe Thornton uh, proof that uh, the Leafs lack leadership in their lineup. <laughs> yeah. You, they signed a guy to a one-year $700,000 contract. Yeah, he is absolutely there to replace John Tavares and Austin Matthews as the leaders of this team. You nailed it, buddy. Right on the money. Just it, stupid. No wonder everybody hates Toronto hockey media and fans. Jesus Christ. So that that signing for me was um, a good, like, kind of lends into this whole, I hate that I'm even saying this, but like war of like the eye test slash gut versus the analytics versus like small high skill guys. And that's obviously anybody who knows hockey or has an ounce of, of common sense knows that you can't build a team purely off of looking at the numbers and you can't build a team purely off of, you know, just going to the rink and looking at the guys. You have to have a mix of both. And that's just what the modern game is. And you just watching this proxy war, like spill out into Toronto because you know they brought in Simmons and they brought in Thornton and they've brought in uh Bogosian and for all the reasons Brad said Brad just mentioned it they make sense those signings make sense but then you have people arguing you know is Dubis going back on you know his analytics is he finally you know uh admitting we're right it's like what Evan said last episode it's the boomer window like it's just <laughs> it's just the boomers are like oh, I don't look at any numbers I know it's what all, I know it's so funny my buddy's dad is the biggest uh boomer toronto fan he's been a fan his entire life but as soon as the leafs lost in the the play-in round this year he said they're too small and they're too soft so this is his uh the golden team this year if they don't win then i think he's gonna just retire to the fact that they're never gonna win a cup in his lifetime and like i think there is a lot of merit to bringing someone into the room who's been there or bringing someone into the room who has the experience. And there's like, it's not even just intangible. I think those qualities are tangible, just maybe not on a stat sheet, which I guess makes them technically intangibles, but screw you. Doesn't matter. Um, This is a team that obviously has all the talent in the world. And if you have all that talent, like Brad said, don't blow it up. Tampa didn't blow it up. St. Louis didn't blow it up. Washington didn't blow it up. Adapt. Work in the margins. Bring in the help that you need to bring in. No, Joe Thornton's not going to win the heart this year. But if he can help them in a game six or game seven to push them over the edge and move them one round further, that whole signing is worth it. They just need someone. uh, They just need that veteran leadership. It sounds so cliche, but I think they really do. Because when times get tough in the Leaf locker room, the only person that they have to look at is Jason Spezza as the oldest player on the team at that point. Now that they have Joe Thornton, who's a guy who's done everything but win a Stanley Cup, and so when he speaks up in those moments, they may actually listen, and this may be exactly what they need to get them over the hump. Yeah. Unfortunately. <laughs> like, and it's it's what Brad said. You can have your core, and you can have your veteran uh, like leadership. Those two shouldn't be the same thing. You know, Abdul Kader should have never been part of the Red Wings core. Helm should have never been part of the Red Wings core. Glenn Denning and Erickson, those guys should have never been the Red Wings core. A couple of them definitely could have played uh, like accent roles on a successful team. And a couple of them did well, during the Red Wings successful run from, you know, whenever, like early 2000s till essentially, let's call it 2013 because that's the last time they had a real shot. But the moment they became the core is when the trouble started. Anyways, just to roster lamenting there 
That was a huge conversation for a $700,000 contract. I know. I know. The moment I saw it all play out, I was like, it's a good, it's a good hockey conversation to have. And I was like, I know this is going to end with, this is stupid because it's Joe Thornton for league minimum. (laughs) Um, and also it's, it's Toronto media. So it's like, it's somehow bigger news than when the Red Wings brought in Hashik back in the day. Like it's just everywhere. Um, okay. So the Detroit Red Wings, um, obviously their prospect pipeline has being, has been restocked over the years. And then with this last draft improved in a big way. And we are going to talk a little bit about how we rank the Red Wings prospect pipeline. Who's technically a prospect, I think, is going to be part of that conversation. Spoiler, we're not going to consider Philip Zadina a prospect. But we are going to look at um, the who can be considered as a Red Wings prospect and giving them arbitrary number rankings, mostly just to piss people off, but also just to give you an idea of, of uh, where they're at. Because it's grown quite considerably, even as we are researching and you know building our, our own lists or whatever, um, making our notes, we are, like, it goes far. The Red Wings have a lot of prospects in there and (laughs) some of them are going to be jettisoned whether people like it or not so if you have your like fourth line third pairing guy you're really in love with and you hope he gets a crack one day there's a good chance he gets moved eventually oh yeah uh my prospect list currently sits at uh 49 players so the red wing if 10 of these guys become regulars soon or in the next five years unbelievable 49 i don't know if we'll go to 49 today no we are not because if anybody uh, wants me to explain why i have alex cotton ahead of cooper moore i'm gonna shoot myself (laughs) uh that's gonna be a patreon question next episode you know that absolutely will be i'm sure there will be a all right can you explain the differences between chase bradley and kirill chuchiev for me please and thank you same player. Have you seen them in the same room? Uh, they're not, I'm, I'm not even sure they've ever been seen on the same continent together. Um, okay. So maybe let's start with, like, we'll just start from the top down and, and go there. And we're going to assign number rankings, and then maybe we'll we'll separate them into tiers casually as we go to. There's not, we didn't really plan a lot of structure to this, so we'll see where it takes us. Red Wings top prospect, number one ranked. And we're talking in terms of, like, overall potential impact for the team i, I kind of hybrided this like my list so i put preference towards what their ceiling is but if they're like a 10 percent to reach their ceiling and there's a guy who's like 50 percent to reach the nhl i kind of would flex yeah. that 50 percent guy ahead of him even if his ceiling's much lower but yeah it, like you said it was arbitrary there was no science that went into the cutoff on this i think that's fair um my top prospect is Lucas Raymond, and I don't think that's a big argument. Yeah, there there really isn't an argument for anybody but Lucas Raymond right now. And that is with all the love in the world for Mo Sider. I don't know, Evan, if you want to yes. make the Mo Sider argument. That is, no, that is it. No. Um, yeah, Lucas Raymond. And then number two, I think we're all going to agree, is Mo Sider. Um, and that to me is my star tier like these guys could be stars or should be stars yeah i almost have raymond insider in their own tiers tier one tier two and then tier three starts beyond there i would almost argue that like i've got three tiers in my top four prospects truthfully because i I think my next two that we'll get into kind of 
could be interchangeable. Um, but yeah, beyond that, then you're, you're not really looking at any star potential or, or necessarily top six, top four, uh, potential versus guarantees. There are a bunch of guys beyond the top four that could be top six or top four forwards or defensemen, but it's more likely that they're not than they are. Whereas with uh, three and four, it's if they make it, it will likely be in the top six. So, um, the reason I have them in the same tier is because I'm uncomfortable predicting Raymond confidently as a superstar. I think he has way more potential to be a superstar than Cider does. Um, and you're talking like top what 10, 15 in their position in the world. Well, okay, like so it, it, it's a small club, the superstar status in my mind. So let me put it this way. And and again, I'm understanding the question I'm about to ask is going to be on the very long shot ends for both guys. But like just for context, do you ever see Mo Sider realistically getting nominated for the Norris? It's hard to say. Not in any mean. I, I don't think he'll be. Uh, if it happened, it'd be a one off in my mind. So if Mo Sider reaches his ceiling, it will be very, very, very hard for him to even get a Norris nomination. I don't think the offensive game is there for him to get the recognition. Okay. If Lucas Raymond reaches his ultimate ceiling, and again, we're talking best, best case scenario based on their skill sets. Does Lucas Raymond finish top five in the Art Ross race? Yeah. Okay. Then they're in different tiers. Yeah, that's fine. And it, I, I get that. And I don't think there's a version of Moritz Sider that couldn't be a perennial Norris candidate. Like, he surprised us in his, you know, first year out of the draft. Who's to say that won't keep continuing? And, and I, but it, that's like the tale of, of his probabilities. I see a world where he maybe gets consideration as one of the be- 10 best defensemen in the NHL. Again, that is everything going absolutely right for him and him developing skills that he currently doesn't have. Whereas Lucas Raymond has these skills to be what we want him to be. It's just how good are they we know that he can put up points we know he can score goals we know he can run a power play we know he's an elite playmaker so is that going to translate to a 60 70 point score or a 90 100 point score i don't see a world where most siders a norris candidate unless he's running one of the two power plays which i don't bet on him doing okay so we have uh raymond and then cider third prospect ranked who do you guys have I have Joe Valeno. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, boring because all it, three of us have the same answer. But Yeah, but I very seriously considered putting Jonathan Berggren in there because ultimately I think Berggren's ceiling is higher, but his injury history scares the ever-living hell out of me. And I think at this point we can pretty confidently say at some point Joe Valeno will be a middle six center on this team whether that's the second line or the third line I don't know but I'd be more surprised than not if he's not one of those things yeah ultimate talent and like ultimate ceiling I think Bergeron has more there like for sure his, his spectrum is much wider than Joe Valeno's but Joe Valeno also plays a more complete game and I think has done more now. If Bergeron continues his insane tear in the SHL and has an extremely strong year and stays healthy, and that's a big one, he stays healthy and dominates and lives up to his draft stock, 
you're looking at people being just as excited for Bergeron's first game as they are for Sider's first game, right? Like he's not a nothing talent. He could have easily been drafted in the first round in his draft year. Nobody would have batted an eye. Um, but that's a long way to go. And Valeno's definitely had the body of work to um, back his game up more in my mind to get that third ranking. But for me, even Bergeron's small sample size coming back from injury now has reignited that flame to for me to confidently have him at number four. I mean, the dude's second in scoring in the third best league in the world. Like, yeah, that's, I don't care that it's I only been good. I don't care that it's only been 10 games. That's not nothing. If you can run that kind of a heater for that long, it's there. It's not a question of, is this a fluke? No, his talent is there. He can be that good. It's just, is this a streak? Is this consistent? Is this going to translate? I mean, the style of game he plays, I think, translates. So I'm I'm optimistic about it. Um but yeah, I, I mean, and it also, him versus Valeno comes down to what type of player do you value more? Uh, you're a second line winger who admittedly puts up a lot of points or a middle six centerman who plays power play PK is going to be that that type of all around player. So I there's a heavy premium on centers these days. So it's just from that standpoint, hard to not put Valeno at three. So, uh, Raymond, Sider, Valeno, Berggren, number five. Uh, I'm going to assume we can still consider him a prospect. So, assuming we do, I'm throwing in Dennis Cholosky here. I don't consider Cholosky a prospect still. I mean, he finished the last season in the AHL, but yeah, because... And from the sounds of Steve Eisman's last, uh, or the the Fox Sports draft review they did, it sure as hell sounds like Chalowski's not going to be on the Red Wings this year. Uh, I would, okay. I thought of him as a prospect as well. All right, I'll shoehorn shoehorn him in there. And again, yeah. we've seen we've seen Dennis Chalowski contribute successfully at the NHL level. There's some I think his defensive weaknesses get a touch overblown although they're not great. Uh but we've seen him quarterback the Red Wings power play successfully. We've seen seen him go on a streak of 10-15 games in the NHL where he puts up 6-7-8 points. So we, we know he can do it. And that's not nothing and he's could do that as a, a number 3-4 defenseman who does quarterback a power play. Especially the fact that he might be even more important because you look at the Red Wings system and the guys who have a chance to quarterback the Red Wings power play, he's the only one who shoots left. And that might sound stupid, but our two trigger men are Manta and Zadina. They're going to be on the right side. So that's going to be Cholosky's strong side to feed him. And, and we could say, well, yeah, Sider could do it. Hirona can do it. But that's on their backhand. It's harder to make that pass. And if they do want to just turn their body to make that pass on the forehand, it's a giveaway to the goalie, the defense. They know what's coming. So um, it, it just makes Cholosky's, I'll say, importance uh, that much more amplified. I actually, you know, I'm going to sit here and say Chlosky wouldn't have been my pick, but I'm going to be uh, hypocritical and pick someone who also has had a look in the NHL who I still consider to be a prospect, um, and that's Michael Rasmussen. I think there's just so much more unknown with Michael Rasmussen. I've seen enough Chlosky where I'm pretty confident in 
not what he can be as a player, but what he's been tracking as so far. And I don't think that's too different than what you just described. But for me, Michael Rasmussen still has that aura of, okay, well, he can still be this, right? Like, let's say everything goes right for him. And it was just the fact that he was brought up way too young into the NHL. Um, what if this is a guy that does end up playing a two or three C role for the Red Wings very well? Um he gets the benefit of the doubt for me, which is why I'll slot him in there. But if he doesn't have, you know, a good year or good couple of years, then he quickly drops down those rankings. He would be bunched in with Chalosky. I'd have Chalosky in right after him for, in my mind. Yeah. Rasmussen's next up on my list. Um, I just, I know people desperately want him to be a center. I'm still not sold on that. I still see some people see him as possibly being a top six forward. I mean, maybe, but that, in my mind, definitely won't be as a center. Maybe he could be a second-line winger one day. I do see his value on the power play. His skating is just not there. His pace of play is just not there. And, yeah, that might improve. But, I mean, his skating and his pace of play have not been affected by his injuries. He's been battling wrist for most of the last few years. And as far as I can tell, he hasn't had any knee or ankle or hip injuries at least no super significant ones so i i don't know i i still like the player i'm still optimistic at the as about the player but i i I don't think his ceilings as high as we hoped it would have been when he was drafted evan you're the tiebreaker you're about to say something yeah i kind of have uh those two and svechnikov as kind of like the last chance type guys like this is the there's a few grains of sand left in the hourglass and this is when they need to figure it out. If we had to pick in terms of who you thought are the, the where they are in the, the list, I think Rasmussen is still my pick uh, for all those things that were just mentioned. Um, I don't think he'll play center. He's way too slow. He's way too slow, but I think he might have something uh, like a, a bottom six potential uh, in some capacity. He'd be pretty good on the on the third on the fourth line for sure. But he's got to stay healthy. What I struggle with is we're going to have we have a clump of players here. So we have Raymond Sider, Valeno, Bergeron. That was our consensus top four. And then you have this Chalosky, Rasmussen, Svechnikov, where not not exactly new to the system, and some of them have had a uh, just, just before you two get too deep into this conversation that I'm not going to be lumped in with, I've got eight more prospects before I have Svechnikov. Oh, you're really high on Chalosky then, aren't you? I really like Chalosky. I Again, we've seen him do it at the NHL level, and he possesses something on the blue line that... As of right now, no other Red Wings defensive prospect has, which is legitimate offensive upside at the NHL level. Now, we can hope Siders comes along, and it might. Um, Chuomisto uh, definitely has it, uh, but he's also a much longer shot to make the NHL. Um, We hope Wallander and Johansson develop that, but that's not really either of their calling cards. So... When, when we're looking for that quote-unquote unicorn in the Red Wing system right now, it's Chalosky. I mean, for the things... the things. I think you're Red- underselling defensive deficiencies, honestly. No, no, no. I'm not saying they're good. I'm, I'm looking at what he's good at. I, I'm well aware that his defensive <laughs> deficiencies are, are, are there. I, I think they're over-exaggerated a little bit, 
but I'm aware they're bad. So, so don't, I'm not saying, oh, he's an average defender. He's not. I get that. But that's something that can be taught. Um, get, improve his positioning, improve his gap control. That can be done. But teaching a guy to run a power play is much harder to teach. Teaching a guy that kind of offensive instinct is much harder to teach. This was one of my biggest criticisms of Blash Hill is how much the good part of Chalosky's game has been beaten out of him. Because I'll never forget the beginning of the 18-19 season. We were watching Chalosky. We were at the game when he scored his first goal. He stepped into a soft spot in the slot, hammered it in. He, it was a perfect pinch. We've seen him score multiple goals on a wraparound as a defenseman. We've seen him traversing the offensive zone. That disappeared from his game, and now he's being told to be more assertive. Like It's, it's stupid to me. But um, I'm not going to get on a Blash Hill ramp. But like I said, that's just Chalosky has that aspect of his game. And it's a very, very difficult aspect of the game to master and to be able to utilize at the NHL level. And the fact that we've seen him do it is so promising. It's it's hard for me to argue against it, when, especially when I look at Rasmussen and go, I think he could be a really good third line winger. Um, again, I, they both have huge warts to work out, but the ultimate tiebreaker for me is two things. Chalosky's ability comes at more of a premium and his deficiencies are more easily fixed. Again, none of, for neither player, neither of those things is guaranteed, but Chalosky's are, it leaves me with more optimism. I'll just leave it at that. Okay. Raymond, Sider, Valeno, Berggren. I concede Brad will put Chalosky in at four or five. Who do you have after Chalosky? Name your next three, actually. Well, I have that. Rasmussen, okay. obviously. Yeah. Um, so we can just pencil him in there. So you want me to go my next three? Yeah. All right. There's there's very much a theme with my next three, and I toyed with the order to put them in, but again, with upside being what I'm looking at here, my next three in order are Anti Tuomisto, Albert Johansson, William Wallander. <laughs> Identical to my <laughs> seven eight nine. Identical. Um, I mean, and again, to the tiebreaker for me with Tuomisto, he look again longer odds than Chalosky, but he possesses those abilities. He can quarterback a power play. He has that offensive IQ that you want. I mean, he's got just as many kinks to work out, if not more so, and we haven't seen him do it at a level higher than the Finnish Junior League. But the dude won the friggin' MVP in that league last year. You literally could not have asked him to do more. Uh, it sucks for him that he's committed to the NCAA, so he's not playing right now, which is because uh, I, I would love to see him in Liga right now. But it is what it is, but he's got the highest upside of the three. Yeah, so... F- you want to know how like we know the Red Wings prospect system is deep and they have a lot of good like genuinely solid talent in there I guarantee you at least a third of the listeners right now are screaming at us because we have not brought up Master Simone or McIsaac or Svechnikov there in that group or I'm uh, Niederbach to a few of those <laughs> yeah absolutely but like the fact that you can list a, a, a Niederbach closer to 10 than 5 after this draft is a great sign for your system like there's still a lot of talent that's 
ahead is is arbitrary. Like I said, these rankings are for no reason other than it's fun and it pisses people off. But like the fact that there's that much talent within that group within that tier is fantastic. Uh, Tuomiso and Johansson, in my mind, you lump together in that they were a little bit surprising when the Red Wings took them where they did uh, in last year's draft. But as Brad mentioned, they had such strong seasons and they are such talents on uh, either side of the ice. Uh, Johansson's on the left side, Tuomiso plays on the right. These are guys where you're looking at top four potential talents. Or let's say something goes nuts and, and do they continue an insane, like steep upward climb? They're they're not there's not there's a non-zero chance these guys play on Detroit's top pairing. I wouldn't count on it. You never really bank on that with second round picks. It's kind of silly too, uh, but it happens quite a bit. Like not every single top pairing guy or t- first line guy came in the first round. Um, they both had fantastic seasons. They're both progressing extremely well. They their praises are sung a lot by people who are familiar with their game in Europe. And yeah, that's why I have them there. And then I think. William Wallander is dragged up by them as well in my mind because seeing their success so far has given me a lot of faith in the Wallander pick because he is a a project. He's very raw with a lot of talent, but with refinement could turn out very well. Yeah, and the only reason I put, I'm not going to say the only reason, but the reason I comfortably put Tuomisto and Johansson ahead of Wallander is just because I've had an extra year of seeing them do it. I mean, if Wallander has a year like either of those two had this past season, you could absolutely make the case he should be ahead of them because at this point in their careers to the point where they were drafted, Wallander's raw tools are probably better than Tuomisto's and Johansson's uh, were. I mean, I wouldn't don't think he had the offensive upside that Tuomisto does, but he's got a better more, better skating ability than Tuomisto does, better transition player than Tuomisto was, so you could argue those cancel out. I wouldn't, but you could. Um, so yeah, it's just... Once he gets more experience, this might be a much more interesting debate. Um, Evan, any kind of opposition to those clumps at seven, eight, nine, or those players clumped at seven, eight, nine? Who are the three? Uh, we were looking at Tuomiso, Johansson, and um, Wallander. Have you guys mentioned Master Simone yet? Not yet. I think no. he, I would have him in there, per, perhaps on my list. Um, it's hard to say this year because he's NCAA commit, but. He could be someone in the top 10 with some interesting talent uh, that the team could use at some point. Well, Funny enough, I have Master Simone 10th. So do I. <laughs> <laughs> shit. Shit. Which is literally next up on our list. Would you yeah. look at that? Um, Master Simone is a guy who is maybe a little bit looked over. It's I don't know if people just don't have as much exposure to the NCAA, but again, a high talent pick that the Red Wings grabbed in the second round last year um, is another guy where he, if he continues to progress well, he could leapfrog maybe someone whose ceiling might be perceived as a bit stunted like Rasmussen's, depending on what school of thought you buy into or you know, if someone has Svechnikov ahead of, of Master Simone, for example, you would see Master Simone jump him if he continues to progress well. Um, and the fact that you'd have a Master Simone at 10th on your prospect rankings is, again, great sign. Really good sign. It's funny. In his uh, final year with Chicago in the USHL, his production was not that far off what Brendan Brisson's was this past season, except Brendan Brisson was a late birthday and therefore a year older than master simone was when he did it but master simone was a mid second round pick versus a first round pick 
So it's just little things like that that are, are fun to nitpick. And I mean, he was a half a point per game player as a true freshman in the NCAA, which is crazy impressive. And he was playing on a strong Boston U team. So he had to fight for ice time. He wasn't walking in there and just being gifted a top line role, top power play and, and still produced. Um, again, Master Simone has that skill set where you can pretty much put him anywhere in the lineup and be comfortable. He He's competitive enough and, and like the Charlie hustle type player that he's just going to be a hound on the puck at all times. But the thing that's nice about him is he's got a lot of puck skills and an unreal shot. So no matter where you put him in the lineup, he can contribute. So you throw him in on a third line supportive role, give him 12 minutes a game, maybe put him on the second power play. It's not crazy to think he'll be a 40 point scorer one day, even in that role. So, um, I just, I don't know. I'm a big, big master Simone fan and I I'm with you. I don't think the Red Wings fans, uh, fan base gives him enough attention. Um, after Mastro, we, we'll talk about Svechnikov when we get to him. But um, it, again, this isn't an indictment on him. It's not giving up on him. But I still don't have him next. I have uh, Niederbach up here with Master Simone on my list. Same. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, um, well, it, it makes sense. Master Simone, Master Simone and Niederbach were both mid second round picks a year apart from each other so it's yeah it's reasonable to think their ceilings are reasonably similar uh master simone again has almost two extra years technically over niederbach because niederbach missed that season um but yeah i i actually did kind of purposely do my rankings a little bit by tiers um so like i got master simone and niederbach together spoiler my next two are goalies and then uh, my next three, uh, four after that are all guys who have seen some NHL action. So I, it's easier to compare them to each other when they've had similar paths. So unless a guy really jumped to the point where you had to include him over some of these guys, I, I kept them in tears. Um, and then, yeah, beyond that, then it gets to be a little more scattershot. So... I have Mikhaizik and Sveshnikov next, and I'm guessing you have Larson and Bednar next. Larson and Petruzelli next. Oh, okay. Petruzelli had, uh, uh, after a couple of years that made me start to lose a little bit of confidence in him, um, he, he had the bounce back year that we needed to see. So he was the starter for Quinnipiac last year and put up a 920 and a 201. Perfect. Exactly what we needed to see. Because when Petrozelli was drafted, he was the physical athletic freak. Just that six foot four, whatever he is, six foot five goalie with insane athleticism and just kind of needed to refine his game. And uh, when he went to his first two years in Quinnipiac, eh, left us wanting, I think would be the polite way of putting it. But it, everything seemed to come together for him last year. He was the starter. He wasn't really battling for the net. So he was able to get that comfort zone and he ran with it. So, I mean, they literally couldn't have asked him to do any more than he did last year. So, again, I still have Larson above him just because Larson has more good years under his belt than Petrozelli has. I think ultimately Petrozelli's ceiling is higher. But until we see him, I don't even, it's tough to say because Larson made it to the Frozen Four, but Quinnipiac wasn't good enough 
So we didn't really get a Petrozelli didn't really get a fair shake at that. And Larson's got a pro season under his belt now, even if it wasn't the greatest and it was still riddled with injuries. So if someone wanted to come kick the door down and go, how dare you have Petrozelli behind Larson? I'd hear the argument, but yeah, whatever. Splitting hairs at this point. Um, so I have McIsaac and Sveshnikov here. Speaking of missing years of, of play, McIsaac in my mind is another guy who's who could be pretty talented. I think has potential to play in the Red Wings top four. Um, maybe some of that's gone away with uncertainty because of injuries. Um, and Svechnikov, it's not very popular, I know, to say, you know, I don't really think Svechnikov is going to be a top six player. It just, uh, you need to see something. And the guy's been dealt a, a shitty hand. Like, he's had terrible luck with injuries. And, you know, he's had a roster ahead of him that's been jammed up with players who really should have been let go a long time ago. So he hasn't had a fair shake in terms of playing time quite yet either. So it's it, it's the perfect storm of worst circumstances for Sveshnikov. I'm not saying the guy can't pan out. I'm just not holding out hope that he's going to be some kind of surprise, you know, top six, top line talent. I think he can be a really effective third line player still. I think uh, that's probably, in my mind, his most likely of all successful outcomes his floor obviously is just a career ahl or khl or whatever but um i'm not terribly inspired i'm excited for him to get a shot and i would love to be wrong it's just you're so far removed right from seeing him play that you you want a little bit more um quick question very fast does gustav lindstrom count i was gonna ask that (laughs) yeah so he was my next prospect and frankly i'm shocked i had him ahead of you I didn't have him on the list because by your rules, he finished the season in Detroit. And yeah, but he, he played like four games. I know it was like 20, but he's he's going to Grand Rapids this year unless there's injuries. Like, uh, I think it would take a minor miracle for him to beat out Biega, Stetcher, or Hronik at this point. I'd have him after after Niederbach before McIsaac and Sveshnikov. Uh, okay. Well, I would. I have him after Larson and Petrozelli here because... For me, it, it's the, yeah, Lind, Lindstrom's way more likely to be an NHL regular than Petrozelli or Larson, but Larson and Petrozelli have the potential to be our starting goalie for a long time, so that takes uh, precedence over a number six defenseman. Um, and, then and then I have Svechnikov. Yeah. Larch, Larson, Petrozelli, and Bednar, I lump together because I'm lazy. Um, <laughs> and I haven't seen, like you said it way more eloquently than I did, but all of them have the talent. Uh, none of them have really put it up consistently to say, yeah, these guys definitely belong in this top 10 tier. Um, very quickly to recap, you know, Raymond all the way down to Master Simone in my mind, or even Niederbach, those are guys where I think they are, they have a potential to play in the top half of the Red Wings lineup. Not all of them will, most of them will not. Um, and some of them might end up even better than that. But those are the guys who I think that is the talent core that the Red Wings really need to lean on. Not to say the players below them couldn't, but they're much longer shots. But Raymond, Sider, Valeno, Berger, and Chalosky, Rasmussen, Tuomisto, Johansson, Wallander, Master Simone, Niederbach. The Red Wings need to look at those guys and they need to hit on more than one, more than two of them in my mind. Um, that's how you rebuild and that's how you build out a core. And if they can snag a surprise star out of that crowd, um, that would be huge for them. I, I think for the Red Wings to have a successful rebuild here, it's unfair to put this much pressure on these guys. But if I were to take my, I guess I'll go top 11 to Niederbach just because the goalies are too volatile. They need at least eight of them to play regularly. 
Well, I think that's asking a lot. It is asking a lot, but that's the thing is because you you look further down the list and, and we get to the Lindstroms and the Svechnikovs and the Hiroshis and the Giovanni Smiths of the world. Yeah, they might play, but their ceilings are not high. Those are the guys that, yeah, you want your homegrown guys to be the guys in your bottom six, but these are the guys ultimately who aren't going to have a significant impact on the team and are super replaceable um, once they do get there. The top 11, these are the guys that will impact outcomes of games if they contribute. And again, if Niederbach makes it and Master Simone doesn't, that's fine. If Wallander doesn't doesn't make it, but Johansson and Tuomisa do, that's fine. Again, it's it's got to be about seven or eight of them because, again, even if you just look at the contract situation in Detroit right now, uh, beyond these next two years, they have one player signed. There is going to be massive roster turnover here and Steve Eisman can't sign a thousand free agents to make this team good. These are the guys that have to pan out. I would argue the top four Raymond Satter, Valeno Berggren for the Red Wings to be a contender. Those guys all have to make it. Yeah. Um, and then if, like I said, so if you have those four, I think it's reasonable to assume Chalosky and Rasmussen will at least be regulars at some point. Then between Tuomisto, Johansson, Wallander, Master Simone, Niederbach, we're saying two of those guys is the most likely outcome. Yeah. So loose rankings here, we're looking at Raymond Sider, Valeno, Berger, and Chalosky, Rasmussen, Tuomisto, Johansson, Wallander, Master Simone, Niederbach. That's our top 11. Guys we haven't mentioned but would come soon after the, you know, the goalies that we were just talking about are, you know, Elmer Soderblom, Otto Kevin Mackey would be in there. You'd look at Ooh, Grave. I got Kevin Mackey pretty low. Uh, I wanted to bring up Kevin Mackey because we're going to transition to talking about him very like, quickly. Once you get past the, the the guys who have floated in and out of the NHL, that's where you start getting Cross Hannis, Elmer Soderblom, McIsaac for me is in that, that grouping, Sabrango, Vero, Brome is probably worth a mention there. Or they're not necessarily, you know, they you can make the argument that they belong higher. You just haven't seen enough yet. There's exactly. just too much uncertainty. And that, that's the problem with prospect rankings is that you get into a range where it's not necessarily that they're less talented, uh, but they just have more uncertainty to their game. They could shoot up. They could fall off completely. You'll never see them have a number assigned. Um, if you guys are angry, we'll make one of our next few Patreon exclusives a solid prospect ranking we'll we'll battle it out and everything we're still going to do one where we go back and uh review and and rank each uh draft class um before we wrap any final thoughts from either of you guys on our prospect rankings that we talked about today i mean it's probably worth noting that i think going all the way down to if i had to put a grocery stick I could legitimately go 25 deep on guys that like have legitimate NHL upside, which is crazy. Absolutely crazy. And the nice thing is the Red Wings get to go right back to the well again next year with a high pick. Oh, yeah. Yep. Lots of them. Lots of them. The Red Wings, it's another year where they have, what, 10 draft picks, is it? It's kind of nuts. Um and that's, you know, barring any other moves where Eisman, I don't think he'll be trading the first round pick, but who knows? He might get another one next year in the top three rounds. They have six picks. So it's going to be similar to this year where you're adding a lot of talent and you're going to see guy that that's going to be a pool 15 deep. Really that discussion where we're going to say these guys could all be top six or top four players for a starting goalie or something like that. Um, 
that number that Brad hint or put out where he said eight of these guys need to hit, I think that would hold true next year, but you have an even bigger pool to think of. So yeah, it, it, reviewing this prospect pool really makes you appreciate the the grind of the last you know five years of rebuilding. This is what it gets you. And sure, there's only one, arguably two star talents there are likely star talents uh but the supporting cast is fantastic that's a really good foundation um red wings overseas uh we mentioned Otto kevin Mackey. he took a nasty hit last year and uh it was bad the way he he was splayed out of the ice in the, the conversations after we thought he wasn't going to play again and here he is uh having a great uh start to his season in liga so really awesome to see Otto Kevin Mackey do well there. Uh, seventh round pick in 2018, pick like 190 something overall. Um, excellent, excellent talent. Like lots of skill. This guy, he was the the experimental uh, Hakan Anderson pick. Um, tiny, like five foot six or something. Like when he was drafted, he weighed 135 pounds. Yeah, and uh, just looking at his elite prospects page because I actually was curious and I actually haven't looked it up. They've got him listed all the way up to one seventy two now. Look at Get, look. he's getting wide. Yeah, five nine one seventy two. He's almost my exact dimensions. So wait, wait up, bulk up there. Air quotations. I I wonder if that's real, right? I mean, he probably took a shower with his clothes on before the weigh in. Um, but hey, he's he's off to a great start because he was less than a half a point per game player in Liga last year before his injury. And right now, again, he's at a point per game. So, I mean, I'm still not sold that his skill is high end enough to overcome his size in the NHL because he's got to play a scoring role or he is useless in the NHL. Yeah. And I'm I'm not sold. I'm I'm hoping again, you hope. But I mean, again, five nine bucks seventy two, and when and when you're stretching to get to that, um, it's not a good sign. But yeah, so hopefully that this continues, and the fact that he's doing this coming off that nasty injury is just remarkable. Either way, um, sorry, I was uh, <laughs> I was just thinking of something, Evan. You know, uh, not just you, you and I both got slammed for looking down at our phones last episode. Yeah, I don't care. But and I was like, yeah, that's a lot of that's a that's a load of it. The reason I was looking down at my phone last episode was because uh, there's construction happening upstairs, and I was trying to coordinate with Mel as to when the drilling would happen and when I would be muted. <laughs> but of course, Evan does it every episode. But the one episode I'm doing it a little bit more, I get called out for it, as you should be. Yeah, it's because I don't have the jawline that you do. Um, no, Brad, you nailed it with Kevin Mackey. It's feast or famine with him. If he makes it, it's all or nothing. He's going to be in that top six. He has to be a talent player. This isn't going to be a kid who's going <laughs> to slum it out in the, the bottom six. So, um, yeah, continuing to watch Berger and tear it up in the SHL. Obviously watching everything that Sider's doing. He th- got his first point yesterday, today, something like that. Sider, so, yeah, like a day or two ago. So, yeah um anything else before we jump into overtime here okay yeah we are going to move into overtime what day is it today sunday uh overtime is brought to you by our patreon supporters they are the reason this show can happen um they were the reason we were able to do so much uh draft coverage and um 
prospect coverage and you know continue throughout the hiatus of hockey and then through the plan so thank you guys so much oh very quickly let's announce something uh we have currently three giveaways running two of them are jersey giveaways red wings jerseys or custom jerseys of your choice and the third one is our box of upper deck um trilogy 2019 2020 set so uh the hockey cards so uh, listening to you butcher the simple title of a hockey card box is so entertaining to me upper deck 2020 2019 20 upper deck trilogy hockey the year is first 1920 upper deck trilogy hockey okay you make fun of me but the g is a three and on the box yeah i know it's trilla three (laughs) (laughs) you you know for a fact i google that first to to figure out how to type out the youtube title (laughs) And Upper Deck was founded in 1988, so I don't know how they're making hockey cards in 1920. <laughs> Boom. Got you there. <laughs> Burned you, nerd. Um, we're going to announce the winner of our one of the jerseys. Uh, this was uh, from a little while back. It's a, a redistribution of a giveaway. So um, it is going to one of our patrons, which is none other than Sean Chavarella. So, Sean, if you are tuning in, uh, congratulations. Uh, get in touch. Let us know uh, the jersey that you want, and we will get that sent out your way. We have another jersey giveaway coming, and we'll be announcing the winner of the Upper Deck Trilogy 2019 Hockey Card 20. God damn you. <laughs> Love it. We're, we're going to jump into overtime when we're going to start with third man in who says, hey, boys, uh, COVID has put my kids U8 season on an indefinite hiatus, and I'm looking for suggestions for turning our garage into a practice space. The floor is a single slab of smooth concrete with about uh, 12 by 24 uh, feet of usable space. Should I stick with this in a green biscuit or are dry land tiles worth the investment? I've also got a slide board, a two by four shooting pad, four by eight stick handling pad, and one of those giant shooting tarps you can hang up and fire real pucks at. Anything else I should consider for him? And let's be honest, me. I'm jealous. Um, so if you want the skatable tiles, it's they're expensive as hell, but I mean, it's worth it if you're skating. If you're just looking at the dry land tiles, don't waste your money. Smooth cement serves basically the same purpose. Um, beyond that, yeah, you don't need anything else. That is more than enough. Um, yeah, just make sure you have good pucks that can slide and get the shooter green biscuit. Green biscuit, the regular green biscuit is garbage. Uh, the green ones are lighter, right? They just slide better. Um, the Bauer inline pucks have better, like they feel more like pucks, but they don't slide as well. Um, the regular green biscuit, if you hit the post with it once, just explodes. It's literally meant for only stick handling. But the what is it? The sniper green biscuit, I think, is what they call it. It's a little better. Um, but yeah, it's preference really. Uh, Dylan Krill says uh, some quick non-hockey questions. How do you take your coffee slash tea? Uh, two creams in my coffee. Ice One cream in mine. <laughs> so i have two evan has one brad is a freak who barely drinks caffeine um favorite pie pumpkin apple (sighs) probably neither of those for me i think those are both devastatingly overrated well say one never had don't be a coward pie then no no i've had really good at both but i think the average one of either is is usually underwhelming um i don't know what is my favorite I know I have one, and if I shout it out, if I yell to Mel downstairs, she'll tell me. I'm terrible at remembering what desserts I like. There's this uh, like little Mennonite restaurant like 
half hour outside of Kitchener here that has this like peanut butter pie that is just devastatingly amazing. That sounds so good. Uh, can I cheat I and go savory pies? One. What's that? Like British savory pies? No. Oh, well, that will be my answer. Favorite fast food burger. Oh, man. The Popeye's chicken burger is the real deal. Really? I've never had it. Oh, the chicken sandwich. So good. Oh, man. So okay. Good. So it's either got to be a Dave's Double for me or A&W's got a pretty good Papa burger. One of those two for me. I am a McDonald's addict. Really? It's not great, but man, is, does it, is it greasy and just <laughs> scratches that itch? Yeah, it's objectively not that good, right? No, not at all. It's just, there's something about it. It's probably the, the cocaine they put in it. <laughs> the nicotine yeah. in every bite. Yeah. Uh, favorite late night snack for me has to be chips. I'm big on Takis recently. Uh, there, <sighs> did you ever go uptown Waterloo uh, on a bar night at midnight and get a grilled cheese from Cheese's Murphy? I was just saying the other day, I miss Cheese's Murphy so much. So good. And I think those actually jam. had crack, or crack cocaine. Best bacon jam of all time. Honestly, though, having to leave the house for a late night snack kind of defeats the purpose. So that's an immediately a no for me. I, I don't know. I'm not a late night snacker, but whenever we have it in the house, I always find a way to dust off a half a bag of Oreos at like 1030. Um, favorite children's movie. Ooh. Children's Finding Nemo. movie? Yeah. Uh, Lilo and Stitch. Um, the hell is that one cartoon one? Is it little? No. What's the that one cartoon one? The one yeah. cartoon. Oh, what is it? It's um with the. Um, I can't even describe it. It's. <laughs> it's great radio, Evan. Okay, I- you come back to it. it. I will. It will come to me. I can Iron see Giant. it in my head. A little big I- hero. Is that it? Little big hero, a big hero it? six. I think big it's just hero big six. six. That's there it. Yeah, go. never saw that one. I'm having that uh, dessert brain fart like you are, Ryan. Yeah, uh, yeah. Why am I making fun of you? I have probably the worst recall out of all three of us. I'm up uh, there. <laughs> I'm up there. Uh, Callan Setskowski. I hope I said that right, pal. Says uh, linked us to an article saying this is an interesting read. Uh, this guy's take on Raymond skating is pretty much the opposite of everyone I've come across. So I'll send this to you guys. And maybe we'll talk about this uh, in a later episode. Pretty much implying uh, different than conventional wisdom on Raymond skating. I think I think it's a little more favorable towards him. Uh, La Plata Peak says, assuming the divisional format is, has been rumored, which teams do you think that benefits slash hurts the most from a perspective of making the playoffs? Also, do you think the NHL would stay with reseeding or revert back to teams having to win their own divisions? (laughs) So, okay. I got to remember exactly what the divisions are. I think the teams that get screwed the most is... Everybody in the Canada division but Ottawa because they all plan on making the playoffs this year. Um, I think Buffalo gets screwed hard because <laughs> they uh, have to go into the Metro Thunderdome and they're bringing Boston with them. Um, so on a year where they're expecting massive improvement, they get to deal with that little corner of hell. Uh, I think the biggest beneficiaries would be Ah, maybe the Florida teams because they're getting uh, Chicago and Detroit brought in and Minnesota brought in, who's not going to be great. Um, so they get out of the 
Atlantic. They get away from the Leafs and away from the Bruins. And I mean, admittedly, they have to get Dallas and St. Louis, but that's about it unless we're expecting a huge step from Columbus this year. Um, Rob Rasso says, hey, guys, first off, draft coverage was amazing as per usual and a belated congratulations for hitting top four hockey podcasts in the States. What an insane accomplishment for you all. Here's here's to hoping the growth continues because I need this pod full time in my life. I have two questions for you. Uh, one, is this the year where we can finally see how good of a coach Blashill is? I know it's easy to dump on him, but I honestly don't think he's had a roster as talented as this one since the last playoff season. So here, here's the catch 22. The Red Wings are going to be better and should be better than last year, and they'll probably be leaps and bounds better than last year. They had a lot of bad luck last year and with in terms of PDO and injuries. So they, they were not 17 wins bad. Like, don't get me wrong. They were bad, but they were not 17 wins bad. So just by regressing to the mean, Jeff Blashill is going to look like he's bringing this team a lot further from the depth than he'll probably actually get credit for. That being said, if he's got this team still in the playoff race come the last quarter of the season, then absolutely that's great on him. But if, if this team's, you know, a 25 win team and they're like 29th in the league, I don't think that's likely going to be a huge indication of how good Blash Hill is. I think that's going to be more an indication of the natural improvements the team made plus regressing to the mean. Um, and I'm going to answer the second question here, asking if we'd ever considered doing a prospects podcast as well. Part of our plan long term is to expand what we do. And YouTube is a big part of that. And, and streams are a big part of that. So prospect coverage doesn't have to exist solely within episodes as well. So we want to be able to do more video stuff. Uh, that isn't just although we do like doing it, clipping out the episode. So that is is part of our, our continued uh, growth, we hope. Um, we have to find a way to put a proverbial tap in Brad's head to make sure that uh, we're getting (laughs) all that prospect knowledge is seeping out and and we're getting the most out of it. And and honestly, like we all want to be doing more with it. So that's part of, you know, the more we can do, the more we can put out for you guys. Hey, ultimate goal. If, uh, if you guys keep supporting us in the unbelievable fashion that you are, and we keep growing and growing and growing, there might be a day right now where we run a Red Wings podcast, a prospect podcast, a league-wide podcast. That's all in the realm of possibility. We just need a lot more time. Yeah. <laughs> so much more time. Garrett TV says, Namaste, hockey amigos. There's been a lot of hyperbole that the Wings amassed a bunch of proverbial darts to draft all upside players and see what sticks. Kind of disagree. I think it's an oversimplification. The more I look back at the draft and read reviews, I don't think we drafted purely for upside. The only true upside pick we took was Hannes. And even there, uh, most pundits have him as a bottom six if all goes well. That's not upside. Upside would have been taking uh, Lori or Sokolov at that point. Upside would have been taking Simon Taival or Nimala when we ended up going Sobrango. Pitlick or Co. instead of Stang. Uh, we left Zion Nybeck on the board to take a keeper. We could have easily taken two rounds later. Anyways, saying we went all saying we went all upside isn't true, but it's also not necessarily bad. I think our scouting team is looking at system gaps and addressing them. That often means not taking upside. Looking at the left-handed D selections alone should tell you as much. Several pundits have said that's not what I would have done, but I see what they're doing. To me, that says filling system gaps, not just finding upside players. What say you? Sticks on the ice. Let's go Red Wings. I think you're confusing drafting the player with the most upside with 
drafting upside. The Red Wings could have drafted Tyler Clevin. They could have drafted Shakir Mukamadoulin. They could have drafted those type of guys that you're drafting literally just to fill out your bottom six and your bottom pair. The Red Wings didn't do that. Uh, if everything goes right for Niederbach, he could be your second line center. That's upside. He's a high offense guy. If everything goes right for Wallander, he could be a top pair two way defenseman. That's upside. If like again, you even mentioned Cross Hannis and how much skill he has. If that hits, coupled with the fact that he's six one, he could be a second line player. I mean, when you handicap this, you say, okay, well, yeah, I wouldn't bet on all these guys getting that high of a ceiling, but if all these guys are what 80% of what we hope for. We're still getting a third line center out of that, a third line winger and a middle pair defenseman. Uh, same thing with Sabrango. I, I think he's got upside, even if it's not as high as a Simon Tyval. Vero was the one that kind of confused me a little bit. Maybe they're just banking on him punching above his weight class. Beyond that, beyond that, once again, in those fourth, fifth, sixth round, seventh round picks, you, you literally are swinging at single digit percentage odds. So, I mean, as much as we love to dissect it, literally pick whoever the hell you want. It almost doesn't matter at that point because you're all guessing. Um, would I have liked to have seen like a, a Chromiak or a Nybeck in like the fourth and fifth round? Yeah, I would, but whatever. It's it's those first batch of picks that um, are what I, people reference here. Cody Stark says, what's your favorite playoff line combo since the lockout for the wings? Mine is the 2010 Bertuzzi Zetterberg Franzen line, a combined 44 points in 12 games. Oh, that's got to be the answer, right? Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> give me peak bullshit playoffs. What the hell is happening? Nyquist, Anderson, Bruner. Oh, my oh, God. Re- yeah, that's remember throwback. when they were riding a two-round heater? What the oh, hell? Man. That uh, that Red Wings team was awful, and they were a uh, shot away from going to the conference finals, <laughs> largely on the back of that third line. What are Damian Bruner's career earnings? Far too much. Because whatever he er- like, he got that New Jersey Devils contract because of the because of that series, pretty much. Oh yeah. Um, okay, moving along here. Darren Helms Stan Club says, Hey guys, great job on draft coverage. Whenever I meet a Wings fan, I plug your podcast. Being a Patreon subscriber is worth every penny. That means a lot. Thank you so much. And um, that's coming from someone whose name is Darren Helms Stan Club. So we maybe don't always put out the most friendly things. So we really appreciate it. About a year ago, I made the switch from rugby to hockey and got more involved in a beer league. This year, they're moving me to defense more. I know there's a former defenseman on this pod. So Ryan, any tips for not a strong skater playing some shifts on D? Yeah, if you're not a strong skater, I mean, you can get away with it on defense, but the the, the key to your game has to be positioning. It's positioning, positioning, positioning. You won't really have the luxury of taking too many risks, or if you do, you have to make sure that you, you make the most of it. You can't half-ass a rush and then not even put the puck, you know, into their zone but uh act as a safety valve uh for your defensive partner always be trying to think a step ahead of the game and uh, be at the right spot on the ice if you get in a foot race you're essentially already behind if you're not a great skater um also uh you know play dirty (laughs) just hack them cross check them in the back there's a couple wingers on this pod so clutch and grab clutch and grab Uh, the towering behemoth Leviathan says, if we have a next season, how many points are the lowest acceptable minimum for you? Would Blashill's tenure survive on your lowest acceptable point total? I, I, I mean, um, again, I, I'm admittedly biased against Blashill based 
what I've already seen from him. So short of this team competing for a playoff spot unexpectedly, I I don't know that I'm gonna want to see him extended. Um, yeah, I I don't know for with him, it's a huge uphill battle for me personally. I need to see 60 points from this team, I think. Whoa. That is a low goddamn Whoa. bar. Holy hell. Wait, wait, did you say that was low? Yeah. 60 points is a low bar, man. Like 70 points puts you in conversation for first overall. Yeah. Wow. I, I, was I just want to see five. <laughs> yeah. Like this team was going to finish with what? 45? At minimum. Yeah. 60. And that was going to be the worst team yeah. in the salary cap era. They've added better roster players and again it they should see some regressing to the mean here i want them to win 10 more games next year which is an insanely low ask i and yeah blasha would survive on that in my mind oh i just need them God, to not geez, if it's I below si- i would hope higher than 60 but if it's below 60 just you know burn it all like i'm just curious here 2018-19 last full season the first overall pick was 64 points and second last was 71 points. Yes, but they weren't the 2019-2020 Detroit Red Wings. Yeah, and and the 2019-2020 Detroit Red Wings didn't have John Merrill, Vlad Nemesnikov, Troy Stetcher, Sam Gagne, Bobby Ryan. And I, I know those aren't huge needle movers, but you take all five of them. And it makes a team significantly better. And you add a healthy Danny DeKaiser, a full season of, you know, uh, Robbie Fabry. I mean, this team, oh, a full season of Philip Zadina, uh, hopefully a full season of Anthony Mantha. This team should be 10 wins better just because they should be 10 wins better. Yeah. yeah. That There's has a lot of- nothing to do with an improvement in coaching. Doesn't I'm, well, I still think Blashell? That's not what he asks. He says, "What do we want to see, and would Blashell survive it?" Oh, what, yeah, what I still do I don't think the see? team's anywhere where they need to be. So I'm like 55 points. I don't, doesn't matter really. Okay, so here's solo. So what were the Red Wings on pace for? 45 points, you said. Yeah, as I made that up. But okay, yeah. so what do I want to see? 25 points better than that. I'm okay. So you want to see them have 70 points? Uh, yes. I'm gonna, Speed us up a, a little bit here. Uh, Stevie's Yoga Mat says, suck it, Quebec. He is said to say that in Sean Connery's voice. Winged Wheel 69 says, hey, guys, is are there any teams calling Stevie to dump a player or any that might? Uh, Vancouver yeah, needs probably. to. Vegas, probably. Tampa Bay, definitely. You know he's had phone conversations with all of them. Uh, C-Nod says, hey, guys, everything is settling down and the real offseason started. Give me a 1 to 10 on where you guys are with the team and how you think the last three weeks have gone. One being a get whooped by Minnesota that one game and 10 being Larkin scoring his first game. Like, are we talking, uh, we're not including prospects, just uh, how we feel about the roster right now relative to the rest of the NHL? Is that what I'm to understand? No, I, I think including the draft as well. Okay, because if we include the draft, I'm at like an eight. But if we look at just the team, I'm at like a three. Yeah, I'll the team still it sucks. Like seven and a half right now, just based on like previous future team. Good current team. Hold on to your butts. Um, couple more ideas for the pod draft grades from 2014 to 2018. We will be doing that. North American and European teams for the hypothetical 2020 World Cup of Hockey. 
Nice. That's also a good idea. It's the off season trying to help out with some talking points. Most of the news is going to be coming out of Europe anyways. Thanks for for the pod. It just Uh, started to set in to me today that it's going to be like three months of, oh, what are we're back? Sorry, not three months, but like two and a half months of, oh God, what are we going to talk about again? Yeah. Uh, Jake Nagy says stoked to see Bergeron lighting it up. Who do you see as his ideal line mates in Detroit two to three years from now when we're hoping to be a playoff team? Thanks as always for the great work, boys. It's been a dark few years in hockey town, but you guys have continually provided great insight and been a bright spot for this swings fan. Cheers. Thank Let, you, Jake. Let's say Joe Valeno and Robbie Fabry. Uh, the Caminator says, do you have any experience with making a homemade backyard rink? Any suggestions or hints? Also, any ideas on how to convince a fiance to allow a backyard rink? Thanks, guys. And remember, Ozzy for the haul. I've never done a backyard rink myself, but I know like a thousand people who have. And the reason I don't have a backyard rink is because I've talked to a thousand people who have. And it sounds awful, like a nightmare of never ending upkeep and problems. But if you get good at it, well, hey, good for you. I know one trick is to lay down like a sheet of plastic so the water doesn't sit on the grass. It actually sits on the plastic. And I know friends who've done that after mm-hmm. just putting it on snow and grass. And they said it works way better. Well, yeah, you're supposed to put a tarp down that. That's like if you're not doing that, you've already screwed it up. Um, Chris Smith says, I'm choosing to believe in a magical world where teams like Detroit and Ottawa have told Tampa that they'd like to move Tyler Johnson or any other bad contract that Braden Point comes with him. <laughs> What's Tampa going to do about it? Not sign their RFA some more? In all seriousness, though, how likely is it that GMs have told these teams in Cap Hill that basically their only option is giving up a very good young player? Like in Tampa's case, Johnson plus one of Chernak, Sorelli, or Sergachev for a late mid-round pick. If I'm Steve Eisenman right now, knowing that he's in a better position to do this than any other team in the league, I would be like, I will take Tyler Johnson off you and I will take a first round pick as well. And you can take it or leave it. And if someone comes up with a better offer, you can have it, like take it. And again, I'm using Tyler Johnson. It can be any one of their bad contracts or not bad contracts, but any one of the contracts they want to get rid of. If nobody else comes to you in the next two months and you run out of time to sign these guys, you can circle back to me. I'll happily take that first round pick. If not, uh, good luck. I'd, I'd be sitting firm. If you don't make the deal, who cares? If you get what you want, amazing. Uh, Philip Gasno says if the season starts in January or February, they play a full 82 games. Trade deadline will be around the time SHL ends. This means we could trade a good amount of our newly acquired players and then ride the prospects for the rest of the year. And second point, Bobby Ryan did an interview with NHL Network uh, where he said he referred to the big four on the Red Wings. Who do you think he was referring to? Larkin, Bertuzzi, Bertuzzi Mantha, or Gibbons, but I'm not sure if the fourth is Heronic or DeKaiser. Oh, it's Heronic. It's definitely Heronic. Uh, Stay Fresh Cheese Bags of Fournier Company says, hey there, fellows. In response to last episode's Patreon question about what types of questions you hate answering, please list every hockey player ever. <laughs> <laughs> don't uh, don't know what the hell you're doing but still the gm of canada's most popular team reach into that stay fresh cheese bag and throw together any old combination of washed up vets to throw out there on the fourth line literally anyone do they have a pulse slide them right in there seriously if the uh maple maple queefs win the stanley cup with a fourth line of spezza thornton and simmons i'll eat my goddamn shoes and uh swedish fart porn says i really wanted joe to win uh, I really want Joe to win the cup, but I'd rather run penis first into a light pole than see that the Leafs win it all. I'll, I'll change my name next episode if a laugh doesn't keep, doesn't happen. Keep calm and love WAP. Also, it's funny how many people are saying WAP in this group. 
Um, okay, time for a couple Reddit questions. Um, MJC7006 says, in your opinion, who's more likely to have a Red Wings type fall from grace in the future? Vegas with their signing of Petrangelo or Tampa being cap strapped and giving multiple first round picks for Coleman and Goudreau? I'll say Vegas because they have a bit more scattershot and all their big contracts are older players. Uh, Red Wing Laker says, thank you so much for the podcast. Um, I love my wings even here in sunny Florida. Any chance Stevie Y, Stevie Y goes after Galchenyuk or other free agents like Athanasiu, Hala, etc. on a one-year deal? I mean, I would, wouldn't mind it, but uh, based on the sheer volume of signings he's already made, I have no idea where you fit anybody else. There already is not a single space available for a prospect based on the veterans they have signed. They have 14 veteran forwards and seven veteran defensemen. So, yeah, um, yeah, I mean, unless you're comfortable just like punting a guy like Adam Ernie to Grand Rapids, which I would be, I I don't think they're going to do anything else. But hey, never say never. I didn't think we were going to sign five free agents, and here we are. And last comment here will take his holy moly. What a goalie says super awesome podcast. I might be your oldest listener. And I still haven't given you any money yet. These are Reddit questions, by the way. Um, it might seem like a dick move, but I have two kids. I'm a teacher. Hey man, I get it. Uh, so money's a figment of my imagination. Anywho, just want to say, I love you all. I miss the shut up Brad jokes. I miss when Brad didn't constantly complain about being tired. I miss Evan missing 75% of the episodes. I miss Ryan frantically telling Brad and Evan not to be controversial. <laughs> Uh, question you get an hour with Stevie Y where he answers all of your questions no veiled non-answers he's an open book what do you talk about I just want to ask him about everything Darren McCarty and Joe Koser did after the game I just just follow there's probably some nights Stevie followed them around downtown Detroit I just want to hear those stories (laughs) I want the honest answer to like the thoughts in his head when you took over the Red Wings and you really got a good look at what Ken Holland left you or as you were watching it happen, what did you say to yourself? Or or I'll, I'll go and if I have an hour, say what? how did you react when Ken Holland wouldn't step down and you left for Tampa Bay? I'd love to know that conversation. I just need to know how much longer he thinks we need to be sad and depressed for. <laughs> and then I can have some expectation. And he'd look at you deadpan and go, why don't I look happy? Yeah. <laughs> exactly like that. Uh, we are going to wrap up this episode of the Wind Wheel Podcast. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Um, again, congratulations, Sean Chavarella, on winning that jersey. Um, another jersey give- giveaway coming. Uh, some hockey cards with a random name that uh, Brad says is an important are going to be given away as well. Uh, we'd like to thank all of our listeners, all of you who have been giving us iTunes reviews. Huge, huge, huge. Thank you so much. Um, our patrons, all of you, our name level sponsors, Terry, Arjun Shanker, um, RA, Brendan Lee, Zach Spring, Citizen High Five, Cody Stark, Greech, Jeremiah Dobo, Jake Kiefer, Swedish Fart Porn, Andrew Bohan, Scott Martin, Jacob Turner, Matt McKay, Craig Kibble, Brandon M., Matthew M. Rice, Luke Johnson, Kaylin Wood, Hassam Al-Kassem, Charlie Elkins, Hana Lee, another former junior goalie turned uh, golfer, Trevor Pevavar, Evans Bingo Card, Michael Alsante, Ashley Van Conet, Connor Leighton, uh commander cody execute order 69 
<laughs> Matthew Keeler, Simon Anderson, Stay Fresh Cheese Bags of Fournier Company, Antonio Gracias, John Evans, and Quaz, and Stan Olson. Thank you all. We love you. See you midweek. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.